All right, week number six. Praise God. Thank you all for being here this morning. Hey, let's show some love to our first time, second time, third time guests. Thank you all so much for joining us. Um, yeah, hey, let's go ahead and start week six of The Goat, the greatest of all time. We are studying the life of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Um, man, it's such a beautiful day outside, nice and sunny. Um, so good. God is so good. Hey, join me in Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. I'm going to try to utilize all my time this morning. And uh, is that okay? Can I do that? Good, good. Cool. Luke 22. I'm going to do it anyway, but uh, you understand. Uh, verse 39, it says, Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the, upper, the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. Then, then what? Then what? Then is a transitional term. Um, so something had to happen before he left the upstairs room and went to the Mount of Olives. Well, he had just had the Last Supper with his disciples. Um, a lot of us, we've seen pictures of the Last Supper, him and his 12 disciples at a long table. And uh, he teaches two, two things at the, the Last Supper. He teaches about uh, the significance of his blood as symbolized by the wine. And the Bible declares that um, unless there is shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Meaning unless something dies or unless blood is shed, sin cannot be atoned for or substituted for. For Romans 6, 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Um, and then he, you know, he says, well, let's sip the wine um, for this is my blood. And then he says he talks about the bread at the Last Supper. So they break bread and he says that this bread represents my body. Uh, my body is broken for your healing because sin, uh, sin destroys, sin causes dysfunction. And so when Christ went up on the cross, our sin was attached to that cross. His blood uh, allows us to be forgiven and it wipes away the power of sin. And, and in order for him to bleed, his body had to be broken. And so uh, because he was broken, we don't have to remain broken. We don't have to remain in our dysfunction. And so he talks about some wine and some bread. And then he gives a leadership teaching about how to be great in the eyes of God. You know, it's two totally different things to be great in the eyes of humans versus to be great in the eyes of God. And uh, Christ calls it the great switch up. He who is last um, upon the earth shall be first in heaven. He who is first upon the earth shall be last in heaven. And so oftentimes when you walk with Jesus, he'll begin to check your motives and why you're in certain relationships with certain people. Why are you pursuing certain things? Why are you trying to please certain people instead of pleasing me? As opposed to um, clinging on to Christ, understanding that the world is going to hate you, but in time it reverses. Um, I lost a lot of friends when I, when I came to Christ at the age of 19, but I got a lot more than what I lost now. So, okay, y'all don't. Oftentimes we want significance, but we don't want to put God first. And so, uh, you know, that's how that goes. But um, so then he left the upstairs room. He had a talk on leadership. As a matter of fact, this was his last conversation with his disciples about how to be great. I got to preach this one day, this, this discussion um, about how to be great. And it says this, then he went as usual to the Mount of Olives. Uh, this is also the Garden of Gethsemane. Someone say Gethsemane. Yes, Gethsemane means the olive press. This was the Mount of Olives. It's set up high on a slope. It's set right across from the Kidron Valley. Oftentimes, they would take olives out of the tree and press these olives and allow the olive, the oil, that, that the value was in the oil that was in the olives. They would allow the oil to flow out. So Jesus is, he's about to be pressed. And the oil in the scripture represents the spirit of God. It's a pressing. There's, there's a, a pressing that's about 
to take place. There he told them that you will not pray, that you will not give into temptation. Let me get back to my scripture, verse 41. He walked away about a stone's throw, just a few feet, and knelt down and prayed, verse 42, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. I want your will to be done in every area of my life, not mine. I love John the Baptist, his six months uh, senior cousin. Um, John the Baptist said, allow him to allow me to decrease that he may increase through me. And so he said, yet not uh, my will, but your will be done. Verse 43, I love this. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. Verse 44, he prayed more fervently. So he leaned in even the more. He wasn't satisfied with, with just an angel touching him. He, he leaned into the spirit of God, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Verse 45 and 46 in conclusion. At last, he stood up again and returned to, to the disciples. Uh, the book of Mark about the life of Jesus tells us that this is his third time going back to the disciples. And he asked them each time, could you not pray for me? Pray with me for an hour. So Jesus has been in prayer for three hours nonstop. He's under pressure right now. He's under pressure and he's in prayer for three hours hours nonstop. He's leaning into the Father under pressure. I'm afraid that we're living in a generation where we just want God, we want God to just pay our bills. We, we just want God to, to heal us of some flu. We, we just want him to get us through a hangover, or we just want God to, to forgive us of, of crazy. No, no, Jesus pressed into prayer because he wanted the will of the Father to be done in his life. I love it. He pressed in to prayer. He pressed in. And it says this. At last, he stood up again and returned only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Many of us in here today are exhausted, not just because of life, not just because we had a rough week at work, not just because life at home is tough, but because of the grief that we fear lays ahead of us. A lot of us are afraid of things before they even happen. And so it zaps our strength. And so it said they were exhausted because of the grief. They knew that Jesus was about to be betrayed. Oh, that's what I left out. Judas left dinner early to go and get the, uh, the religious leaders of his day and to bring them back to Jesus and to tell them, hey, Jesus is at the Mount of Olives. Right now, Christ is wanted by two parties. He's wanted by the religious leaders of the day who um, want to condemn him to death for blasphemy. He has stated that he's the son of God and he is God. And in, in their eyes, this is blasphemy. And then the other party of people who's looking for him is the political people. Um, you have the governor, Pontius Pilate, who is governor over this region, and he's under direct orders from Caesar to maintain the peace. But they, say they see Jesus as an insurrector, He's a rebel. He's starting trouble, and you better keep it peaceful in Jerusalem. If not, that's your neck, and that's your life, Pontus. So, and, and then Jesus has someone in his circle who has went off to betray him, the infamous Judas Iscariot, the name that we all love to hate. So Jesus is pressed politically. He's pressed from a religious standpoint, and he's pressed from his inner circle. And now he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Someone say Gethsemane. Yeah. Yeah, he's under pressure. Today I want to preach on the subject of the prize for pressure. The prize for pressure. Do you see this? It says he was sweating great drops of blood. Right now, uh, this is a rare condition. It's hematidrosis. And it's where your blood capillaries burst wide open and your blood begins to seep into your sweat glands. It's a very rare condition. Very few people over the course of history have ever um, experienced or went through this condition. 
Um, this happens when someone is under great levels of stress and anxiety. And you see it here. It says that he's in agony of spirit. Um, he, he understands what's about to come. Um, a lot of times we talk about the, cro the cross. If you're in America, whether you're, you're a believer or atheist, agnostic, wh wherever you are in your faith walk, you have heard about the cross of Jesus, the crucifixion. You've seen people wear Jesus on a cross and all this. You know about the cross. We, a lot of times we talk about the cross. We teach on the cross. We teach on the crucifixion, uh, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. We're in Easter season. But oftentimes we don't teach about the flogging or, or the scourging that he endured prior to the cross, which I believe actually killed him. It, it was the scourging that killed him. It was, it was the flogging of his body that killed him. He tells us, I don't have the verse, he tells us in Matthew 20, 17 through 19, that the Son of Man is about to die. He's telling his disciples, they're going to take me, whip me, flog me, put me on a cross, and I will raise again, I will rise again in three days. He tells them what's about to happen to him. And he's in the olive press. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's in the middle of the most tumultuous time and moment of his life. And what he's going to teach us today is how to, how to obtain the prize for pressure. Yeah, yeah, obtain the prize for, for pressure. This is going to be powerful. This is going to be good. I had no time to do this message. I, I did this message in like four hours yesterday. I usually start on Tuesday and I'm able to massage it, but that's how it's been like for the past four weeks. But it's been good. I'm going to talk to you, Lance. It's been good. The scourging. Ancient Rome called this verba ratio, is what they call it, this flogging. This flogging was set aside for. Uh, slaves or non-Roman citizens who were criminal. Uh, they would take you and put you out in the public. First, they would strip you of all your clothes. So nine times out of ten, Jesus was either bare naked or he just had on his underwear. And um, this was done to inflict great pain, great pain and humiliation. They, they did this type of flogging in order to forewarn people not to do that type of crime. And so Jesus, a man who we've read for the past six weeks, all he's ever done was heal people, raise the dead, um, preach about the good news of the kingdom of God. And, and because he is so good, because he is so right, because he is so perfect, he finds himself in the hands of merciless sinners. You and I, Lord. That, that, that's what being great, that's what being God led him to, the hands of merciless sinners. And so in Jewish culture, if you were to offend the law, they would beat you with some leather straps and a whip. It, it was a bull whip. So if you defend Moses' law, you could not receive more than 40 stripes. So they hit you a few times, boop, boop, boop. You get a few bruises, and they send you on home. This is different than Roman, Roman uh, reverberatio. So they would have used the cattle nine tails. It would have had three straps. And at the end of each three-foot-long three strap, there would have been bone and metal. This tool was not designed to just bruise you or leave you with whelps. It was designed to, when they hit you, to latch onto the skin and tear it. And so Jesus would, they hit him and they tear his skin to the point where, you know, veins and arteries and blood is just gushing out and, 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 and a lot of historians have said that you're able to see people's bowels and, and, and their members and their inner parts and kidneys and broken ribs. And Has anyone ever seen The Passion of the Christ? You remember that? I saw it when I was 16 years old, and I was with my dad. And I won't lie, I cried like crazy on the part where he was on his knees because they tie you to a post or a frame. And he was on his knees for your sin and for my sin. And they were ripping his body wide open because that's what we deserve. And they, he took that thing. That, I mean, he was having fun with it, too. They said, yes, the Romans would have fun with it. 
Remember, I just said the Jewish law was 40 strikes was the limit or was the maximum. There was no maximum. And being that he was a Jewish man, there was already hate in the Roman officer's heart for a Jewish man. So he took a lot of delight. So when you saw the passion of the Christ and he was he was laughing and all that, he was having fun because he hated him because of the race that he was. And so the part where for me where it really jacked me up was when when that thing went over and it latched onto his head and it and Mel Gibson did a phenomenal job directing this movie. And I'm like, man, I don't even follow Jesus like that. But Jesus Christ, what in the world is going on? And I cried like a baby. Because even though I didn't receive him in that moment. I understood that I deserve that. He didn't deserve it. I deserve that. And Eusebius, uh, a first century theologian um, of Caesarea, he, he says this. He says, the bystanders were struck with amazement when they saw them lacerated, talking about victims of this flogging, with scourges even to the innermost veins and arteries, so that the hidden inward parts of the body, both their bowels and their members were exposed to view your intestines hanging out your private parts exposed and he did it all for our sins maybe I'm, I need to find someone who's maybe I'm not maybe I'm not emotional enough but he did it for our sin he went through this for our wrong he went through this for our lying, for our fornicating, for our adultery, for our, our what he went through it for us. What we deserved, he took on himself, a man who knew no wrong. And, and sometimes we got to get away from this, go and get your dreams and go. No, no, no stop. So before you go and get your dreams, let's let's recognize something here. That Jesus, who did not deserve what we deserve, took on what we did not deserve. And that ought to do something to you every single morning that you wake up. Every single breath that you take ought to be glory unto Jesus. And you ought to recognize that we don't deserve any of God's goodness. But we get it all because of Jesus. And I just want to tell you this. You're not entitled to anything. I'm not entitled to a thing. Besides hell. Lord, I want this and I want that and I want this. And why don't you give me this? And why don't you. Hold on. Time out. Look, let's slow down. You're going to heaven, you have my spirit, and I've promised you a future. But you didn't deserve any of it. So before we get into all this entitlement stuff, especially our gen we need to stop. And, and, and so that's why we come to church and we lift our hands and, and we cry like crazy and we sing with a loud roar and, and we go after God because, because we understand that our Savior went through what we deserved. We understand that. We understand that. We understand that. We understand that. And I should be on the point number one, but I don't know. I'm just sticking here. I'm just I'm sticking here. We, we got enough fluff walk, running around in America. We have, we have enough fluff. It's time for us to really to really fall in love with this guy that we say is our Lord and our Savior. And, and so we, we get the pictures of the cross, and so his, his feet would have been nailed, and he would have been tied up, and nails would have been either through his wrist or hands, a lot of historians debate. But uh, uh, he, his back would have been bruised, and so every time he would have tried to breathe a little bit, he would have went down on that back, and that would have been pain. And went down on that back and that would have been pain and so a lot of people say he died from from the cross he didn't he died from suffocation because his lungs was pierced and his trachea was messed up 
they had full range from the loins all the way up to the shoulders, front and back, to do what they wanted to do to him. So why is he sweating blood? Because who would want to go through this? Why is he now all of a sudden battling with the will of God? Oh, yeah, it was easy, Jesus, when, when, when the healing and when you were raising the dead. And it, it was easy when, when you did all that. But, but now, Jesus, is, is, it's the devil's turn. And he's in, he, he's, he's in pressure. He's in pressure. Isaiah 52, 14 says this. Many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. Now, Isaiah prophesied about this scourging, not just the crucifixion. Isaiah prophesied about the scourging of Christ 700 years before Jesus was born. And you see the precision and the accuracy in the spirit of God working through Isaiah. Watch this here. It says, from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. A lot of historians believe that skin was hanging off of him and, and you could see his his eye sockets and in his skull and his his lips were bust and you could see his muscles and his bowels and 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 a lot of a lot of scholars say he was he he was marred beyond disbelief S so when i think about us being on welfare two years ago even got to my first point Andy it's because I can't move past this this is ridiculous we talked about Nain last Sunday right Nain small insignificant Nain we talked about the widow we, we talked about all that and we talked about the man who's received this flogging and he comes to Nain small little hamlet town village whatever you want to call it he stops by insignificant Nain and he he does this while he could have he could have been he could have been in the palaces he could have been with the kings he he could have been all over no no he stopped in little insignificant Nain to raise a widow's son from the dead and he gets flogged like this? What, what, what are my trials? What is my tribulation? What is money? What is status? What is popularity? It's the greatest man to ever live. And the church has to begin to get this right. We got to begin to give it our all for God so that others would find true life. That's our vision statement. We got to begin to give it our all for God, put our stuff to the side so that others could find true life in Jesus. Come on, Andy. We got to begin to give it our all for God so that others can find true life for Jesus. What is welfare? What is struggle? What is pain? If not for the glory of God. Come on. Child, child caught me in the back after he hosted. He said, Pastor, I don't know. Satan done ticked me off this morning. They ticked me off too. That's why we out here getting people to Jesus. There's only one way to heaven. We, we got to stop playing with this new age stuff. We got to stop playing. Paul calls them doctrines of devils. Like where you just allow any kind of philosophy to enter into your life. Not everything is true. There's only one truth. And not everyone, not everyone you receive advice from worships Jesus. It may be good for this world, but this world is already judged. We, we, we've got to get the Savior where he's supposed to be in our hearts and in our lives. And we've got to latch on to him and we've got to follow him. Because there are people dying, there are people crying, there's a purpose on your life, there's a destiny on your life, there's a calling on your life. you got to stop playing with these drugs, stop playing with sin, stop playing with alcohol, stop playing with all this stuff, and follow Jesus and latch on to him and move forward into everything that God has for you. All right, now the prize for pressure. Sorry. All right, point number one. 
He went through it because there's always a prize for pressure. God can use your pain, your heat, uh, for beating, and there's a prize. All right, here's the cute stuff. All right, good. Number one, don't sleep. Number one, don't sleep. Great. Come on now. You know, honestly, Mike, because that was the temptation. The temptation was sleep. All right, so let me back up here a little bit. Um, you know, all right, let's whew, saw it in. All right, all right, here it is. So, oh, great. Kyra um, is more of a night owl, and she wakes up late during the morning. And um, I, I hate it. That's a strong word, but, but I hate it. Um, me, I can go whatever. I can stay up late and wake up early. Um, hardly will you ever catch me waking up after 8 a.m., unless I'm very tired. Um, it's to the point where I wake up with the boys, 6.30, 7 a.m., I get them ready. Like, we'll have a 10 a.m. meeting at S Starbucks, Kentlands. That's where, where you can find us. And um, many of you know. And uh, the boys leave by 9.15. I go upstairs to our room. She's up, and she's ready. And I go upstairs. I haven't brushed my teeth yet. I'm still in my PJs. And, and she's like, can you hurry up and get ready? It is time to go. I'm like, well, number one, I don't know when you got up. And you have on your makeup and your cute clothes and all that. You're going to give me five minutes to get ready. Get your butt up. Anyway, so yeah, I say all that to say this. You know, the Last Supper went from about 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Christ goes to the Mount of Olives, and we, we know based upon Mark that he prayed for about three hours. And, and his only one request to Peter, James, and John, not all 12 disciples, he took three of his top 12, was to not enter into temptation. And every time he went back, he found them sleep. He found them sleep. Now, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. All right, sleep. How many people, let's do a survey, 10 p.m., you're asleep. All right, 10 p.m. or is down. 11 p.m., you're asleep. Okay, almost for me. Okay. All right, 12. One. All right, so we covered everybody within those three to four hours. And tell me, this is a good thing, right? You're asleep between 10 p.m. and 1 a.m. This is a good thing. It's a good thing. I want to I wanna, I wanna forewarn you right now that your greatest temptation during seasons of pressure, during seasons of struggle, your greatest temptation will be to sleep on what God has called you to do. He says, pray that you would not enter into temptation. It's to sleep. Spiritually, the word means to be slothful or lazy or unaware of what God has said. When God has made his will clear in his word, I, I just, I want to say this, is that some of the greatest breakthroughs in my life, I should have been asleep. Some of the greatest breakthroughs in my life happened during times or hours or seasons where I should have been asleep. Number one, um, when Jay was four years old, he suffered from epilepsy. And so he had a 48-hour EEG. And at the time, I was dating Kyra, hadn't engaged yet. We, we were going to be soon. But I was dealing with this thing about having a child or fathering a child who wasn't biologically mine. So, and that's pressure, right? That's pressure. You, your, your life is good. You should be going to med school. You're, you're the clean-cut guy. There's a lot of pressure from your family to succeed. What are you doing dating a woman who has a child? Shouldn't you be studying for your MCAT moving on? But Kyra had to work, and I spent these two days with this kid in the hospital. And it was within those two days that God began to give me a heart for him. No sleep. What do you need, Jay? Answering the questions for the nurses, talking to the doctors, reporting back to his mom, my mother-in-law, and everyone that loves this kid. But it was within those two, two days that I should have been resting, I should have been sleeping, that I received the breakthrough I needed in order to see myself as the father of a child that was not mine. Two days I should have been asleep. Another occasion, another occasion, let me keep going. I got, this is going to get better. Another occasion was, oh, the birth of Judah. 
It was a Friday night. Kyra had just gotten home from a, a women's conference. And uh, it was about midnight, and we went to bed. And uh, just out of nowhere, 1.30 a.m., she gets up. So, oh, my God, my water. You know, your water break. If you ever had a kid, you know how that goes. Her water breaks. And I'm, I'm tripping, Mama Coleman. Like, she said, I, I need to get in the shower. I'm like, what in the world? Get in the shower. This is coming. He's, it's, he, it, he's coming out. What, what are you talking about? Get in the shower. We got to go. And you took a shower, and it ticked me off. And I was, <laughs> I, I was scared. I was scared. I didn't know. It was my first go around. And so she jumped in the shower, and we went to the hospital. And 2 a.m. 3 a.m., 4 a.m., she's breathing, and we, we take her over here to work it out so she can breathe and, and work it out, breathe. And eventually, around 6.30, I take a cat nap for about 20 minutes. And she was trying not to do the epidural, but you, you, you needed it because the pain was too much. She got the epidural. That joker was here at 7.30. I took a cat nap, and he was here uh, in an hour where I should have been sleeping. D don't miss the principle in any of this. In the hour where I should have been sleeping, I was able to see the miracle of my child being born. I got another one. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Times where you should be sleeping. Oh, yeah, the year of prep. The year of prep. So we were at a church. I stepped out of my old church. And it was about a year and a half between then and starting Highlight Church. And uh, I went back to the hospital. And I took a job from... 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. When most people in the hospital are asleep, or they're on their phones, or they're doing whatever, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And what I would do is I would take my notebook, because at this point we got about seven people that are about to move with us to Gaithersburg to start a church. And you know what? We got meetings every Sunday and every Tuesday. And I take my notebook, and I'm a father, and I have two kids, and I have, I have an excuse to go to sleep while at work because I got to see about the kids. Kyra works the day shift. I work the night shift. La, 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 la. And so what I would do from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., more specifically when things die down, from 10 p.m. until 4 a.m., more specifically, what I would do is I said, God, you've given me a vision. You've given me a dream. We're about to go and do something crazy. Hundreds and thousands of lives is attached to this vision and this dream from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. When most of y'all were asleep, I was up from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And what I would do is I would work on my notes for Sunday's meetings because Chow was coming and he didn't know what a light group was. He didn't know what a connection was. And then Krizia was coming, and she never led a kid's ministry in her life. And when I should have been asleep, I was up. And, 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 and Chris was coming, and he needs to know what color do you want this? What angle do you want this? Should we say this in the caption? And then Megan, your administrator, joined, and she was wanting to know, how do I do this paperwork? And what do I do here? And then Sam and Lance came on, and they're like, well, what do we do? And I had to teach them about production. Then we had to give them vision from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Your greatest temptation in this season will be to fall asleep when you should be doing what God has called you to do. Your greatest temptation in this season will be to be slothful when you should be up, getting to work, not just sitting down and chilling like you're a part of the normal crowd. Your greatest temptation will be to be slothful, come on, my man, and to, and to just... Don't sleep. Don't sleep. Read that Bible. Pray. Uh, you know what, my man, you know how many people I've asked, hey, are you part of a light group? And the main thing they tell me is, I got to work. You ain't working. You sleeping. There's seven people move with me 1,000, 2,000, and 400 miles away. You know what they were doing when I called them to this church plant? They were working. 
You know what they did? They put in their pink slip. You feel me, mama? Change your schedule, right? You want to grow in your faith? Don't sleep. Don't sleep, Louie. Keep cooking them pupusas. Don't sleep, Louie. Don't sleep. You got to be sober to what God is saying. Be sober. You know, when you read the Bible, now let's, let's really talk about it. When you read the Bible, it's not, wow, I just read a chapter. Let's go out and have some fun. No, settle in. Settle in and allow it to speak to you. Point number two, take the will. That is not a mistake, the word will. Take the will. Take the will. This is interesting because Jesus was born as the son of God, and we see before his ministry starts, uh, when he's baptized by John the Baptist and he comes out of the water, this, the spirit of God descends upon him like a dove. And the voice of the father came to him and he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So he starts his ministry full of affirmation. He's good. Garden of Gethsemane. He's in a, a place now where he's asking the father, not my will, but yours. He's seeking for his father's voice. And, and this is the thing. A lot of us have been psyched into thinking that the will of God is all pleasant all the time. And then a lot of us on the other side, we're psyched into believing that if I trust God, my life is over. And I just I want to I want to clarify something. It's right down the middle. It's not always pleasant. And it's not always unpleasant. It's right down the middle. And Jesus is, he, 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 he's, in, he's in pressure. He, he's in the middle of pressure right now. There are a lot of decisions you're going to have to make this year. And you're going to have to really, uh, you're not, you can't give heed to your emotions and to your flesh. Sometimes the will of God doesn't feel right. Sometimes it, it won't make sense, and, and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to probably put you into more pressure, but it's the will of God. Sometimes the will of God isn't always the easy, comfortable thing, right? And so th isn't, this is what we see with Jesus. He starts his ministry, uh, and then as, and we don't even read. As soon as he starts his ministry, the Bible says the Spirit sends him into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. So we see the will of God for the life of Jesus is always highs and it's lows and it's 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 highs and it's lows and highs and it's lows and it's highs and it's lows. Which tells me the average is right there in the middle. So just get used to it. I remember before we uh, we moved up during that year of preparation uh, when we stepped out of our old church great church, a uh, lot of people. Uh, we were fellowshipping at a church um, there in Orlando, just going on Sundays, giving our offering and serving a little bit. And uh, they, were, they were helping us out, prepare, because they were a new church plant. They were, they, they were from an established church. So the church we left, Andy, uh, was about 4,000 people, five different locations. The church that we connected with in Orlando came from a bigger church in Jacksonville with 12,000 people. So as this, you feel me, we will be there. So as, as we're, follow me today, okay? As we are connecting with them, the pastor learns of my vision. I share my vision with them. And so about Highlight Church, and we have a team, and we're moving to Maryland. And uh, on the third visit, he, 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 he tries to, to cut a deal. He says, hey, uh, glad what God has put on your heart. It's amazing but I do want to offer you an opportunity. Why don't you and your team stay in Orlando? We plan to start a second Orlando campus in about nine months to a year. Come on on. I said, man, I, you know, God, I, I, 
want to do this, and I know it don't make sense. We don't know anyone in Maryland, and I know it's just nine of us, but we, we got to go, you know. He said, wait, wait, hold on. He said, look, 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 um, talk to your wife about it and talk to your team. Talk to your wife, talk to your team. And I'm like, I ain't telling them nothing. <laughs> but, but, but there was something in me, man. Like, I was convicted a little bit. I'm like, all right, I can respect this. Let's, let's see where my team is. They're still with me a year and a half later. But let's see where my team is. I told my wife, and she said, heck no, we're going to Maryland. <laughs> and at the time, it was Chow, Chrisia, uh, Chris, and Megan. Sam and Lance were still getting their lives together, and uh, so was Becca. She was in Dakota. And Chow, Chrisia, Chris, and Megan all said, Pastor, wherever you go, we go. But all of them said this, with all due respect, we're called to Maryland. And it's hot on the stage. I'm getting chills right now just thinking about it. And so during that year and a half, after all the expenses and the money that we brought in, we got to the point in September where it was time to purchase everything to start the church. We had a total of $15,000 in the bank. We started the church with thirteen. We left 2000 in the checking account just in case y'all didn't come and we didn't make it. <laughs> we could hold off for a month. Praise God, we're still here. So, somebody been given. Fifteen, but that ain't even the punchline. The punchline is this: we raised fifteen thousand dollars. The offer for my salary that was on the table during that year was five times the amount for me alone to launch Highlight Church. 15, 30, 45, 60, 75, almost $80,000 for me. Yet we launched the church with 15. Come on out. 80,000 ain't bad in Florida. Will someone attest? It's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. But it wasn't the God thing. It wasn't the God thing. 100 salvations later, many baptisms, thousands of dollars to outreach, many lives changed, marriages healed, people delivered, people set free, community found. It wasn't the God thing. It was a good thing, but it wasn't the God thing. Take the will. Take the will. You got to take the will. Father, allow this cup of suffering to pass from me. I'm glad that the Bible doesn't show us where the Father answered him. Because this is the point in which we see our Savior really wrestling with his flesh. We've never seen him this vulnerable. But he made the right decision in the moment he prayed it. You, you can make the right decision in the moment. Sometimes your prayer is your answer. Did you see that? Allow this cup of suffering to pass from me. Not my will, but your will. God's like, there's your answer. The will of God won't always be. As a matter of fact, I, I'd even go as far as to saying this. If it's too easy, it's not God. Being abstinent for seven years wasn't easy. But it was God. And what Satan wants to prevent is the fruit of obedience and the joy of obedience. Take the will. I got to have this conversation, but, you know, I don't know. They, they were wrong. Why should I start the conversation? Uh, take the will. God is calling me to forgive. Uh, take the will. I'm not making that much money, but I know the Lord is calling me to save and to give my offering and to pay down debt. Take the will. You're going to thank him in five years. Take the will. The pastor has asked me about light groups three times before I get in my car, and I always tell him I got to work. Take the will. You're looking for community. Take the will. 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 Take the will.
I want to share this scripture, then we're going to do the last point, we're heading home. Is everyone okay? All right, all right. Romans 12, 1 through 2, the message says this. So here is what I want you to do. This is Paul talking to the church in Rome. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, (laughs) your sleeping, your eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embrace what God does for you. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture. Everyone's looking for the get-rich-quick scheme, the easy way out, okay? And it says this here, that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, not my will, but yours. You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognize what he wants from you, and quickly respond to it. Your greatest temptation in seasons of pressure and even seasons of comfort will be to sleep on God. Quickly respond to it. And it says this here, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. Pressure is not about what you can gain. It's about what God wants to get out of you. So the prayer, when you're in seasons of struggle, doesn't need to be, God, solve this a lot of times. It needs to be, God, get something out of me. Use this for your glory. And my final point today is receive the prize. Don't sleep. Take the will so that you can receive the prize. Just going to read a scripture and allow the Lord to speak to you. I'll get out of his way. Receive the prize. God has a prize for you. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says this. He was despised and rejected. Here's Isaiah again talking about Jesus. 700 years before his birth. A man of sorrows. Acquainted with deepest grief. He turned, we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for, for, for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. You don't have to endure 60 years of stress, depression, and strain. Jesus took that for you. He was beat so that we could be whole. He was torn so that we could be healed. And it says this here, verse 6, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. I am getting chills up here. Verse 7, he was oppressed and treated harshly. Yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was laid away. No one cared that he died without descendants. Christ didn't have a wife. He didn't he didn't have any vacations for 33 years. He dedicated himself to the salvation of the world. He didn't have any kids. And it says this, that his life was cut in midstream, 33 years old. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. This is prophecy as well. Joseph of Arimathea was a bona fide millionaire in his day. And he was a disciple of Jesus. And he allowed Jesus to take a nap for three days in his tomb. Because Christ didn't need it. He was going to get up on Sunday morning. And I can't wait to celebrate Easter with you. Verse 10. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him. And cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin. He will have many 
descendants. For those that believe in Christ become children of God. We are descendants of Christ. And the Bible says about Jesus that he will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. Verse 11 and 12. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear their, all their sins. Verse 12 in conclusion. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. His prize was our souls. And Jesus teaches us that when we press into God during seasons of high pressure, our prize is a fuller life of peace, joy, growth, purpose. And many lives can be impacted when you press in during the seasons of pressure. God loves you, and he shows this through his son. Let's give Jesus a hand clap of praise. All right. Hey, let's bow our heads, church. If you're already with Christ, I pray that you would intercede for your brothers and sisters. Maybe this is your first time. We want to pray with you. Maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus. I want to let you know that God loves you. The Bible just spoke that Christ was tormented for your sins. He took on your sins in his body so that you would be healed, delivered, and set free. God loves you, and he's not against you. He's for you. So whether this is your first time coming to Jesus or you're coming back home, we want to give you that opportunity. And on the count of three, you raise that hand. You can receive salvation in the spirit of God in your heart. The third man of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. He is God, and he wants to make his home in your heart. He wants to set you free and deliver you and give you a hope and a future. On the count of three, don't allow Satan to talk you out of this. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. One, two, three. Someone's fighting. Someone's fighting. We got to pray, church. Pray. Someone's life is in the balance, and they, they need to make this decision this morning. Raise it high. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ooh. We're going to give you some more time. Someone, someone else is fighting. Go ahead and put that hand down for us. God bless you. Come on, church. Let's clap it up. Let's celebrate. <laughs> Praise God. <clears throat> now, go ahead and pray with me. Church, the entire church, pray with me. Repeat after me. Father God, we love you. Thank you for forgiving my sin. I ask that your spirit would make its home in my heart. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that he died for my sin. Forgive me. Make me new. Give me a destiny and a future. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, church.